let me invite you to have your Bible open once more in Galatians chapter 5. We've seen how the heart of the Apostle Paul is burning for these Galatian believers because he can see them on a course which left untreated without his intervention. It's a course that can ultimately shipwreck their faith and also result in the true gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ not being preached anymore within their churches. And so there won't be any more people brought to a true and saving faith and salvation. Holding fast to true gospel doctrine is by a country mile more important than the programs and activities that a church is running. Now having programs and activities that are accessible and to which people can relate and with which people can engage is certainly something that we should always keep in mind. But if along the way you're no longer preaching the biblical gospel as it was established and handed down by the prophets and apostles, then even the best programs and activities will all be in vain. So Paul, with the aid of God's Spirit, has been working his socks off, we might say, in this letter to try and convince these believers about the errors that they've embraced and in a bid to bring them back on course, to bring them back on track with biblical gospel truth. And for the most part, he's now concluded all of those arguments and urgings regarding the folly of returning to this Christ plus gospel which requires works to accompany the saving work of Christ, which isn't the gospel at all. He's made his case for the place of believing, saving faith alone in Christ alone having demonstrated that even since the time of Abraham and Isaac, it has always been that way. Every Christian believer is a child of God according to the promise given through Abraham and Isaac. And this salvation has always been of God's grace, received by faith. But in his rejection of law-keeping for salvation, there are those who are suggesting that Paul falls into the same bracket as some others who teach that if you're a Christian, you don't have to worry about the law of God at all. In fact, you don't have to worry about anything regulating your behaviour. As a Christian, you can live however you want, because all of your sins are covered by Christ's blood and your sins can actually serve to emphasise the greatness of God's grace. So if you go on sinning, that just shows how great God's grace is. A theme which he also addresses and emphatically rebukes and refutes in chapters 6 and 7 and 8 of his letter to the Romans. Uh, 
some chapters that some of you will know very well. If you want some additional reading to supplement this section in Galatians, Romans 6 to 8 is a very good place to go. In fact, I would strongly recommend that you do and read those chapters through in the light of the things that we consider this morning and next week as well. And those chapters in his letter to the Romans uh, will really help to support the things that you hear him saying to the Galatian churches here. Paul wants to make sure that he's not misunderstood and he wants to make sure that he doesn't get misquoted. You've been called to liberty. That's been his message. Set free from the bondage of law-keeping in order to merit salvation. That's not the gospel. But, he says, don't use this liberty that I'm speaking of as an excuse or a reason for engaging in the things that are of your old sinful nature, which is what that word flesh represents, the old sinful you before you were saved. And, and that which still remains within you, which we'll talk about a little bit later. Paul wants to explain that when he talks about being set free in Christ, that does not mean that you've had all restraints removed and that you're now free to do whatever you want and live however you please. And to try and make sure that they understand this, that first of all, he says in verses 13 to 15 that you have been set free to serve. When God first created man and woman in a world that was perfect and without sin, he created them to live in a certain way. Above all other things, they were to love and worship him, their creator, and the one who is the giver and sustainer of life and every good thing. They lived in harmony and fellowship together as man and woman and with God. In them, in that perfect state when they were first made, there was no self-seeking, no self-serving, no self-centeredness, no pride, no arrogance. In them was no idolatry, Nothing was given the place which only God should be occupying. And they lived in complete liberty. But they lived in complete liberty to live that way. Not any way. That way. God's way. They loved the Lord their God with all their heart and soul and mind and strength. And they loved each other as themselves. It was human life the way God created it to be. But one day all of that changed because they were taken captive by sin. That captivity bound them up in 
self-seeking, self-serving, self-centeredness, pride, arrogance, idolatry, their heart, their mind, their soul was defiled and warped by sin. They could no longer live as they should because sin had invaded and defiled and corrupted them. And that is this sinful nature. This is the flesh with which everyone except one man has been born with ever since. And they are so tightly bound in their sin. You and I are so tightly bound and held captive by our sin that when God spells out clearly in his law how we ought to be living before him, what our relationship with him and to him ought to be like, we, like they, are incapable of doing it. Because that is no longer the creature that we are. We've become slaves to sin. And Paul has been telling us that through the Lord Jesus Christ, it is from that that we have been set free. But not so that we can do whatever we want, but so that we can be restored to what we once were and what we always should have been, but for our sin. And so in those chapters in Romans, we read Paul saying things like this, how shall we who died to sin, talking about the fact that we die, we were crucified with Christ, we've died with him, how shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? He who has died has been freed from sin. Our old man, the flesh, was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. He who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lusts. Do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace." What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? Certainly not. And he continues. Now when Paul says that we're not under law but under grace, 
He does so in relation to sin. In our sinful state, we are under the law in the sense that it only serves to expose our sin and our guilt and to show us that we are condemned by God. Now, by God's grace, our sin and guilt and condemnation has been dealt with by Christ. And we've been set free from the dominion of sin. And so the law is no longer a terror to us. Because all that the law requires from us has already been met for us in the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul says you have been called by God into liberty. Liberty from sin. So that you may now pursue righteousness. Liberty from a proud, haughty, self-serving nature. So that now you may love and serve. Liberty from that irrepressible need to gratify all your own lusts and desires so that now you are free to consider and serve the needs of others. You've been set free from from that which once enslaved you. And in verse 14 of Galatians 5, Paul references this to the law. And talks about the law not as being an irrelevance or of no further use. But rather points out that this new life to which the Christian has been called. This new nature which the Christian receives is the fulfilment of the law. The liberty that the Christian has in Christ is a setting free from the constraints of sin. And in a life of love for God in Christ Jesus, now having desires and attitudes and embracing habits and behaviours which are in accord with the law of God because of what you have now become in Christ. Previously, everything about you was in contradiction to the law of God. Because you were held bound in your sin. That's the whole problem with sin. Everything about you is against God and transgresses his law. But when God calls you into this liberty, it is not to be separated from the law of God, to do whatever takes your fancy, but to have your whole life and nature and character put back into alignment with the law of God. So it's not a striving to keep the law to be made right with God, but having been made right with God through Christ, your whole life changes and shifts, and in Christ you're brought back into alignment with the law of God. The Bible speaks of us having the mind of Christ, The law of God is God's definition of what a man or woman is supposed to be like. 
you're placed into Christ, the perfect law keeper. And Christ, the perfect law keeper, dwells in you. It's evidence of the old sinful nature if you're biting and devouring one another. And you'll only end up consuming one another, says Paul. And so he's saying, don't listen to those who want to despise this language of liberty. Especially when they're seeking to misrepresent what this liberty is. It's not an excuse to take your life into your own hands and do whatever you please. So don't listen to those who want to tell you that that's what this liberty means. This liberty is the blessing of having been set free from the dominion of sin in order that you may now live the kind of life that puts a smile on God's face and causes him to sing and rejoice over those whom he has redeemed through his Son. And then Paul points out something very important as he gives them an, a very significant instruction in verse 16 and 18, where he tells them that they are to walk in the Spirit. Because this liberty, this freedom of which he speaks, is a Spirit-empowered freedom. It's not something that you can produce for yourself. You, you don't set yourself free. You don't set yourself to be at liberty. This is something that God does for you. Now, if you look back a moment at chapter 3 and verse 2, you'll see there that Paul, if you recall, is talking about how these Galatian believers came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. How they became believers in the first place and in relation to their being saved, their conversion, their being born again. Paul talks about them receiving the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. You cannot even be a Christian if you have not received the Holy Spirit. And there it is again in chapter 4 and verse 6. God has sent the Spirit of his Son into your hearts. It's a Spirit-empowered, it's a Spirit-enabled liberty that God has called you into. How was it that when God called you, you heard him and responded? He was at work within you, renewing, regenerating in the person of his spirit. When you heard the gospel being preached, how was it that it so affected you in a way that it didn't affect many others who might have been listening and who have listened to the gospel? over the years. They've heard exactly the same message as you, but it hasn't had the effect in them that it's had in you. Why is that? It's because God has been at work in you in the person of his spirit in a way that he hasn't in these others. How does a Christian experience this liberty? By walking in the spirit, says Paul. But what actually does that mean? Well, in chapter 4, 
Paul calls the Holy Spirit the Spirit of God's Son, the Spirit of Christ. He actually uses that term elsewhere, the Spirit of Christ. In conversion, the Holy Spirit is actually driving you to Christ. It wasn't the Holy Spirit who became God incarnate and who lived a perfect life as a man and then died on a cross for you. Christ did. The Holy Spirit drives you to Christ, convinces you of Christ, opens up your heart and mind so that you may believe and trust in Christ, brings to you the gift of faith. And so to walk in the Spirit is to continue in His work of driving you to Christ. That's what the Holy Spirit does. To cause you to look upon Christ and His cross. And to keep doing that, to stay there and to keep looking. And when you do that, you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Well, why not? Well, because walking in the Spirit means that through the Spirit, you become completely taken up with Christ. That's the Spirit's work, to point you to Christ, to bring Christ to you to take you deeper and deeper and deeper into that reality. And so, as the work of the Spirit does that, taking you deeper into Christ, you're reminded that you're not under the law because you're under grace. The law while it still stands, is no longer this great burden pressing down on you. It's no longer exposing your sin and guilt and condemnation because all of that has been dealt with by Christ. And you're reminded that you've been set at liberty to be in Christ the man or woman that God would truly have you be. And so when you think back on how things were before you were a Christian, you think, well, how can I live like that any longer? How can I possibly continue like that? Because you're focused on Christ and all that he's done for you. And that's what walking in the Spirit looks like. In focusing on Christ, you're thinking, I must be like him. I must follow in his footsteps. I must become more and more like Christ. My heart and my life are no longer my own. They belong to him. And I delight in his law because this is how he would have me live. And that's my heart's desire. And this is what brings him delight. And that's what I want to do. And this is good for the sake of all the others who are also in Christ. Everything has changed. That's what being led by the Spirit looks like. This completely transformed life that Paul is describing for us here. And we'll continue to do so through the, re the rest of the letter. Walking in the Spirit, being led by the Spirit, it's not something mystical. 
It's not something that requires some special or additional sort of experience. The Holy Spirit is not some mystical force that enters you like a Jedi in Star Wars. Don't be thinking like that when it comes to the Holy Spirit. Walking in the Spirit and being led by the Spirit is simply who and what a Christian is as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. It makes you to be the follower of Christ that you should be. Remember that Jesus said that he is the one that sets you free indeed. Look back at the opening verse of chapter 5. It's Christ who's made us free. It's a spirit-empowered freedom because it's the spirit who brings us to these realities that Christ has accomplished for us. But Paul acknowledges, and this is one final thing for us to look at this morning, Paul acknowledges that there is, though, an ongoing resistance within each one of us. Within each one of us, the battle rages on. There's a battle raging inside every Christian. And this is mainly verse 17. Now, sometimes you may see a Christian and you might think that they, they seem to be taking this issue of liberty too far. And they're doing things that uh, really you don't think a Christian should be doing. But the reality could be actually that they are in the midst of this raging battle between this new Lord and Saviour who has conquered them and who they long to serve. But this old nature which continues to plague them and continues to fight back and resist. In Romans 7, Paul confesses his own such struggles. He knows only too well the things he should be doing now he's a Christian, but laments the fact that too often he doesn't do them. And there are still too many things that he should have relinquished long ago, and yet he finds he still does them. The issue really is whether these things are habitual and persistent sins which carry on unchanged as if nothing's happened or whether there is this clear struggle taking place. Is the conscience troubled over such things? And clearly when the conscience is troubled, that's usually a good sign because it lets you know that the battle is taking place. Christ, by his spirit, is reigning in the life of a Christian. The Christian is no longer controlled and dominated by sin, no longer held captive by sin the way that they once were. And their sinful desires are being suppressed. They are being overthrown by the power and the grace of Christ in their life. But the old sinful nature, the flesh, is not completely done away with and struggles and persists. Let me conclude with this illustration. If you've ever seen the 1967 film To Sir With Love, you'll recall how a new teacher, played by Sidney Poitier, 
takes up a post in a tough inner city school. As soon as he steps into that classroom, all of the students know instinctively that a new authority has arrived and immediately there is a clash. He's met with resistance because what he wants to do and achieve is contrary to them. But he persists. He's not going away. And little by little, person by person, he wins them over and they begin to change and submit. There are all kinds of individual battles taking place within the classroom with this one and that one. But there's an undeniable change moving through that classroom. And then for a while, everything calms down. But then there's a flare-up and he has to move in to confront and to discipline and to encourage. But all the time, his authority and his influence is having an impact. And everyone else looking on can see that this class is not the class that it used to be. Why not? Because this new authority has come in and is changing things. And things cannot and will not remain the same. That's kind of how it is in the Christian. As the Lord Jesus Christ, by his spirit, comes into the life of a sinner and confronts and changes. His spirit takes hold of a life once held captive by sin. And battles are won in the soul, in the mind, in the will. And in different Christians, the change in this one may appear to be more or less radical than the change in this one, or quicker or slower. But undeniable change, nonetheless, is taking place. Why? Well, it's because now they're they're walking in the Spirit. They're being led by the Spirit. They're no longer under the law. They're under grace. They've been set free in Christ by grace. And this new life, this changed life, is giving evidence. The flesh becoming less and less. Christ, by his Spirit, becoming more and more. By God's grace, that's what we all shall be. Walking in the Spirit, led by the Spirit, no longer held captive in our sin but set free, set at liberty, not to do as we wish, not to live as we please, but to truly be the men and women of God, to truly be the children of God that God would have us be.
it is for this that you have been set free. 